we're back with another episode. This episode of the Face Off with Fleming and Fowler is sponsored by MyApothecary.com. MyApothecary is the premier online destination for hemp-derived CBD that will help you curate a wealthy lifestyle. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed during the Face Off with Fleming and Fowler podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent any specific employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. This podcast series does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. It's the Face Off. It's the Face Off. Spread love, spread light. Everybody to Uncut Jams. Uncut Jams. <laughs> How was your week? This were you John Sassy's news? And I, was, Uncut Jams? I was John Sassy's news and Uncut Jams. Uncut Jams. Man. Uncut Jams. I wish it, I could put like a button just Uncut Jams. Uncut Jams. <laughs> oh, I would be so pissed if I was like if I had any kind of job, model, actress, anything, and it was just boiled down to that video. And that's Girl, all people are talking about. Social media is the worst because they're just going to keep replaying it and remixing it. She's and... like, I dated Kanye West, damn it. And they're like, no, I got jobs. Did you ever hear? Okay, part of the, the thing about Kanye West, have you heard that there's this conspiracy that he actually is obsessed with dolls and that's why he gets these women to dress them as dolls and that's why he's so into fashion? Yes, I think he's obsessed with himself and he thinks he is a god, truly. And yeah. he can, like, make things. I think he just, like, gets off on the fact that he can take these quote-unquote nothing girls and yeah. like dress them up and put them around important people and right. paint them to be what he wants them to be yeah and he like gets off on how popular they become and then how people want them and they become this like meows for uncle Uncle Jams. Jams. <laughs> <laughs> but uncle Jams. i'm just gonna keep saying it, it sounds like she's saying uncle Jams. <laughs> But she's literally saying uncut gems. Have like... you watched Genius at all on Netflix? No. Okay, it's his docu. Well, he's been making this documentary of his life like since he was nineteen. Yeah. There was a guy around him with a camera, and he was like, "I'm gonna be big. You better yeah. record everything." Which like, genius, literally. I don't think it's genius. I just think it was prophetic, but whatever. Super narcissistic. Yeah, and exactly. Smart, but um, it's super interesting to watch because it's just like this found footage of new york in the late 90s or early 2000s and you mm -hmm. just see like dame dash jay-z ludicrous pharrell it's just it's cool yeah um so it's not so much of like well it hasn't been so much of like the kanye controversial mm -hmm. shit that's going on i think because it's like a i don't know how many parts it is there's two that are out now so those ones i've seen but it's all his yeah. early stuff so like from him getting started to the accident to mm. how um Rockefeller wouldn't give him a release date and all that kind of stuff. So it's really yeah. cool. Oh, cool beans. Yeah. Well, that was a whole intro. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, welcome back to the face off. Welcome back, y'all. <laughs> we just started pressing record and just started talking about so much other we stuff. We had but things to discuss. Absolutely. But uh, so welcome back to another episode. Today we have an amazing, exciting episode for y'all. We have a special guest in the person of Dr. Captain Crystal Foreman, and we're going to be talking to her. Um, she's an internal medicine physician, and when I tell y'all, this episode is going to blow your mind. It's going to blow she's your mind. She's a doctor. She's a doctor. Captain doctor. Captain doctor. Um, but yeah, how was your week this past week? <laughs> oh, jeez. Girl, they had me in the COVID ICU. 
Yeah, that's your home. No, it is not. It's not. Don't claim that over my you're life. Right, you're uh, right. I, I apologize. I take it back. I know we laugh a lot about how bad my back is, mm-hmm. but my back is bad and I hurt it really bad. You need to get an MRI. I know. I do. So yeah, I um, I'm now on light duty. Ooh. For 10 days, baby. So what do they have you doing? Just... I cannot bend. I cannot twist and I cannot lift. I think they meant 10 pounds, but my paper says zero. It says over zero pounds. That's so I'm perfect. taking it. Can you lift That's paper? Perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> um, I felt so bad because we, this guy, the first day we transferred him, it was ugly. Mm-hmm. And I've done some ugly transfers. Yeah. This was top the tier, ugliest? ugliest. Oh, wow. Like, man, oh, man, it almost didn't happen. Oh, wow. Um, and so the, that day we had told the nurse practitioner, hey, he needs to be hoyer to the chair in the morning. Mm-hmm. We'll transfer him. For, we'll work on standing from there, but we cannot yeah. transfer him. Okay. Because it's a 50-50 shot. Yeah. With, with, you never know. You never know. You're like, well, it didn't work from the bed. Maybe it'll work from the chair. He's in the chair. We tried to stand once. Nope. Twice. Nope. Third time, lift the hips, but nope. Fourth time, we try to transfer him. We're side by side, the physical therapist and I. She gets all the way up. Mm-hmm. So she's like, we got it. We got it. I'm. You can see in my picture, you know when you feel like your back's about to mm-hmm. go, so you have to just immediately stop. Yeah. So I felt it, and I, like, curved over because I was like, uh-uh, I can't Ooh, straighten Jesus. out anymore. My back's about to go. So you can see his hips. Like, one hip is up, up and, and me is down here. Yeah. And when we put him back down, it just locked my back locked right in place. Jeez. And I had to, like, climb up him to get straight again. I was like, I'm sorry, sir. I keep telling you, you need to find another alternative because you're going to mess around it and you're a new grad like you cannot afford to mess up your back at this point in the game i know so you're that was started. wednesday thursday i spent all day going back and forth from employee health and care now and whatever and then friday started my light, light duty. duty which let me tell you light duty is not all it's cracked up to be really truly because you're thinking oh light duty i get to just sit around and chill yeah but hello i'm on my feet all day running around the icu now I just have to sit there and do nothing. Well, I mean, I think it would be better if you didn't have ADHD. That's 100% true. Yeah. So you can't sit still. That 100% true. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, I'm taking it as my opportunity to try out my uh, one woman show, <laughs> my stand up comedy. <laughs> oh, God. I'm just like, how's everybody doing? Everyone who walks in. And then one of the PTs um, was down there on light duty mm-hmm. for like the last couple of weeks. And so they're like, oh, do you know Robert? Do you know Robert? And I'm like, oh, y'all like Robert. So now I have to make them all like me more than him. Because I oh, have to geez. be the star. So of the now you're in a competition for light duty. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that is insane. That's hilarious. So yeah, that's what I'm doing now. Is just and then like every patient. It's so weird because now when you come into the hospital, you have to check in at the desk. Yeah. They give you the sticker. They make sure no one else is in the room. Mm-hmm. They everyone who checks in, they can see like if someone else is up there. Yeah. There's people who aren't allowed. There's a mm-hmm. certain code you have to say, all this weird shit. Yeah. Well, now I get to see all the patients' families on the other side. So like mm-hmm. when they come in and give the room number, I'm like, oh, I know, I know your dad. <laughs> He's a heart transfer. <laughs> or like, oh, you're the daughter they always talk about. Or like, you know, it's weird. Yeah, they're just, you know, they're uncut jams. Uncut you know? jams, yeah. <laughs> How was your week? My week was, um, it was actually a pretty okay week. I mean, work-wise, who cares? It, I hate it. Anyway, work does not define you. You are not your job. Yeah, but it, it sucks when you are forced to go. Um, 40 hours is a lot. <laughs> 40 hours is a lot of my life, sweet lamb of God. You know what was crazy? I actually um, I actually reconnected with a former friend of mine um, from high school. And it was so amazing, like, talking to her and, like, seeing where she is now. And it, it put in perspective, too, like, when you go to high school and, like, middle school with people, like, you still imagine them as their 18-year-old yeah. selves. And then you when you hear them speak, it's just like... 
oh my gosh, you're a grown up now. Like it's insane. It's insane. And to, it, it's like, it's like a taking a, uh, a trip back into like memory lane, but it was so great connecting with her, um, and being able to, you know, to see that she's doing wonderful, her and her family and stuff like that. And then we got to talking and one of the other, um, there's another young lady who messaged us about, going to our 20 year high school yo, reunion. Hey, and I was yo. like, excuse me? You've been out of high school for 20 years? That's insane. You cannot convince me I've been out of high school 20 years. Well, that like, means I've been, yeah. You're about to hit 10 years. Yeah, that's gross. I was just like, that's, don't ever talk to me again. You know who you are from high school. You know who what? Who sent that message. Now <laughs> that you say, so last night I went out because one of my friends from high school mm -hmm. she's the coolest person i know shout yeah. out to nat villain that's her dj name mm -hmm. she was djing at this bar so of course i was like we have to go she's yeah. the best dj on the planet um but it was a bunch of it was like me and one of my friends from high school and then mm -hmm. another friend from high school met us and then she was playing all the music we listened to in high school oh wow and i was that's like, a trip i was like we're old yeah i feel Seriously. old as shit yeah but this this friend of mine we i actually found some so it, it the conversation caused me to do some digging in like photo albums because of course no I, people didn't have cell phones like that the cell phones were around but you weren't taking pictures because it was a nokia i don't even think cell phones had cameras at that particular time in 2002 and it was so funny because i started finding all these pictures and i'm like when did i have a camera like when was i taking pictures a and then digital I, camera exactly and then I, I i text her the picture and i was like yo do you remember we took this after graduation and it was just to see our high school selves it was hilarious and it was just it just brought everything back to uh uh, just back to the forefront, like, wow, I really miss my friends, like people who I went to high school with and we were really cool in high school and just to see them grow up. It was, it was amazing. But, Are you going to go to your reunion? Uh, probably not. Cause the thing is, I feel like high school reunions are no longer needed. And the reason why I say that is because of the creation of social media. Like back yeah. in the day, I feel like uh, class reunions were because you you really didn't have access to your classmates. You didn't know what they yeah. were doing. But with the creation of Facebook, it really helps you to see, well, I already know how many kids you got. I already know what businesses you got. So mm -hmm. what do I need to be in your face for at a bowling alley or at a restaurant? Like that's pointless. Nothing. But yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think I will go. I mean, if they plan anything that's really legit for real because the first i think the 10-year one was like a horrible one i was still i was in pt school at the time so um i didn't go but um i don't know if they do something for real then i may go but mm -hmm. probably not probably not i mean i'm still friends with the people i went to high school with and i talk to them on a regular basis yeah. so and the people that i didn't like in high school i still don't like you now so, so ain't much ain't, ain't nothing changed I'm, I'm not gonna sit in your face and be like hey girl what you doing i still don't like you uh no <laughs> uncle john uncle Jobs, you know but other than that i mean it was okay um but yeah i started back going to the gym got my booty rubbed on by you know my massage therapist yesterday which he really hurt me though um i think because i had been uh going so hard in the gym but dude i you know. the other day i had all these little like finger bruises on me and i was mm. like what fucking patient yeah. is grabbing onto me like that i think it was from my massage oh i'm getting bruised up well i thought you only had one massage you one? yeah i go once a month oh okay well you know i lie you i took a key from you queens well me and my guy khalid well I'm, I'm excited for you on that well Thank i do want to give um we, uh, this month we've been giving shout outs to uh different black owned businesses and um you know uh black owned businesses anyway <laughs> period <laughs> period Poop. and so um i do want to give a shout out to three different businesses that we uh that i know from people that i know so there's this young lady i actually want to save this for the podcast because i want to get your natural natural reaction so um this young lady that i went to college with her name is ebony c of course and it is. Yes, but it's S E A Y. I'm probably saying it right. I think it's C. I think it's C. It's C. 
S. Ebony it. S. Ebony S. So she is an OTR. Oh, I'm an OTR. At, exactly. And she's a black OTR that. So are you. Wow. And she actually was just featured on Kelly Clarkson's show. Shut up. Yes, because she wrote a book that is available on Amazon. Um, and the book is called The Black History ABC's Handwriting 101 for Children. So she literally created, she used her amazing mind and her degree as an OTR. And she wrote a book for, or to help, you know, children be able to write. And if Why you don't am know, I not better at my job? See what I'm saying? I'm pissed. She found an avenue and she ran and she right with it. it. She did. So congratulations to you, uh, Can Ebony. Can I see this? Yeah, absolutely. Ebony, holler at me, Ebony. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Also, I need this many letters after my name. Yes. I want to say she went back to get her OTD. Yeah, she's an OTD. Yeah, she's an OTD. So she has her doctorate in the occupational Black therapy. Black History ABCs, handwriting yeah. 101. Ebony, that's so cool. So I'm, I'm, I purchased I to, I've always wanted to write a children's book. You so see, you should. And I, I, should. I purchased this for my um for my nephew because I wanted to support. But she is also a family rattler as well, too. Um, so, yeah. I, what, what, what noise did you just make? Rattler oh, noises. Interesting. That's so cool. So, yeah, if you want to go on Amazon, you can... Um, Find her book on Amazon for your children or just for yourself, just to support. Um, it is called The Black History ABC's Handwriting 101. And I'll put like a little link in our um, description um, for that. Also, too, I want to shout out um, another uh, former classmate of mine in PT school. Um, her name is Tiffany Dowdale. She is a physical therapist. She actually has a brick and mortar as well um, in Columbus, Georgia. And it is called In Motion Sports Performance and Rehabilitation. Um, like I said, she's located in Columbus, Georgia. So if you have, um, she specializes in athletics um, as well as physical therapy as well but so if you're in the columbus area um in motion sports performance boys, and rehabilitation boys in motion. and you can visit her website at www.inmotionsportsrehab.com um one last business that i do want to uh shout out is a personal one that is near and dear to me do you know what boys um, in motion is boys in motion is from no boys we are the boys in motion we give you our devotion. No. no. Who sings that? That's a raven. The boys in motion. Is that is that a team? I'm not a team, but what you call it? That mm-hmm. uh, what you call hat? Um, what's dude name? Orlando Brown hat or something? No. Oh, I'll have to show you later. That's what that reminds me of, though. Boys oh. in motion. Cool beans. Anyway, well, okay. well um, the last person I want to shout out is uh, near and dear to me. She is a she's my hair braider before I locked my hair. Um, braised by ray that's right <laughs> braised by ray rachel um so she has an instagram you can go on her instagram braids by ray r-a-i and i'll put her description in, um or her uh, link in the, in the uh, she can mark it um but she also is is developing um some amazing hair products i actually have the um, the anti-itch oil that she has that i use on a regular basis um she also has um edge control as well as um What's the other one? Because there's there's products that she has I can't talk about because they're not released yet. But um, but yes, if you need some anti itch oil and um, edge control, edge control, Jesus, my words. Um, you can visit her Lay on Instagram at Braids by Ray R A I. I'll put us, put up some pictures too. Like she's the only hair braider that I trust here in San Antonio because she is amazing. I don't know that she's taking clients though. I don't think she's taking clients. <laughs> but if you want to purchase her her uh, anti itch oil, it's amazing. I use it on my hair, um, and yeah, so. Have you seen those TikToks where the girl, the black girl comes on and she's like, uh, someone needs to tell these white girls that the slick back bun they're doing, honey, you got to switch up the, you got to switch up the part. Everyone's edges are breaking off. Oh no. (laughs) It's hilarious. Oh my God. That's horrible. Well, also in black, uh, on piggybacking off black history month, I know we're kind of closing out black history month, but every month is black history month. Got dog on it. Um, but what just made news among other things, 
Um, Joe Biden has actually selected his nomination for the Supreme Court Justice in the person of Katanji Brown Jackson. Black women, black women, black women. We love to see it. Absolutely. I am, first of all, I don't know anything about her and I don't care. <laughs> you know what because I know? The color of her skin absolutely. and the way she identifies genderly. Listen, she has sister locks. You can't go wrong. That's all I'm saying. She just looks like she'll read someone professionally. She, I just know she'll be a great addition because Clarence <laughs> Thomas ain't doing nothing. Okay. <laughs> Let's just be clear about that. But I just, first of all, I just, I'm so excited that she will be the, she is the first black um, nominee for the Supreme Court justice, it female. It is 2022, it is, dude. Isn't That's it? Insane. Why are we still having firsts of anything? I know. But I, I. But every time we come up with an idea for a business or a product, someone's already done it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but tell that to the bread owl, because the bread owl don't care. You know how many breads <laughs> that there are? We can thing. still do it. Absolutely, we're still we still need to do it. But yeah, so uh, Katanji Brown Jackson is uh, and her name's Katanji. I love it. Love to see like it. Brown and Jackson, which are like. <laughs> The blackness, exactly. I absolutely love it. So she almost outblacked herself on that. I love it, but I, I just, I'm praying for her that she will, um, be tried and true in this seat, and that she will be an advocate for uh, the black population of people and be a voice to the voiceless. And um, I'm excited about the things that she will do. So yeah, congratulations to you, Miss Jackson. Who I am for real. Okay. Never. How many times do you think she hears that? Uh, probably all. Uh, I hope when she walks into not. that fucking floor, they're playing Outcast. Absolutely. Can you imagine? And all the white guys are sitting in the back and be like, "We knew this was a bad we, idea. We knew this would happen. We knew it." <laughs> but also, to um, something that's well, because we we talk about this sometimes, where this show we really think that this is an African American cartoon, but. It hasn't been confirmed that it's actually a no. It, it has to be. It has to be. Name a white aardvark. But look at look at it now. What they put it in. So Arthur, the TV show, the hit TV show on and PBS. I said, hey, hey, what, what a wonderful, wonderful kind of day. day. Hey, we can learn to work and play and get and along with each, each other. Even the hey. they, even the song sounds black. See what I'm saying? And now he, I mean, he has a wig on now, like hair. Because it's, it's kind of like um, Afro beady. You got to listen Afro-beady. to your heart. Listen to the Caribbean. Beat. Listen that. Thank you. Absolutely. What did I say? You said Afro BD. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's definitely Caribbean, but okay. Uh, but yeah, so Arthur is actually coming to an end. It's they're doing it's their so final sad. episode. This is the twenty fifth season. It's as old as me almost. Seriously, I remember watching Arthur when I came home from you know middle school, high school. DW, God, Listen, that was such a good show. Uh, DW was hilarious, and that show was black. Gullah Island and Arthur. DW black used shows. to used to read the crap out of Francine. Like <laughs> she hated Francine. That's all I'm saying. But man, yeah, it's ended. This is their their 25th season. So Having fun's it. not hard when you have a library card. That's, That's what Arthur very taught true. me. That is very very true. Well, we also got to talk about some things. We're gonna try to you know get. Uh, to our special guests as quickly as possible, but we got to talk about the situation that's happening right now, um, currently in Ukraine and in Russia. Um, you know, we are our thoughts and prayers are with those um, who are in Ukraine who are trying to get out. Um, also, our prayers and thoughts are with the Russian soldiers who didn't want to go to war. Be there. <laughs> they, it seems like there's a lot of them that don't want to go Yo, to war. Either. It's 2022. Ain't so, no one trying to. We just got out of COVID. Ain't no one trying to go to war. But that's my thing. Isn't Russia still dealing with COVID? Or are they, you know, because I think they're going to expose themselves again by going to war. I think I mean, so, too. I, I can almost guarantee they're not wearing masks. It's insane. And then, and then uh, Putin, he made a he made a, a, 
a speech. He had a speech and he basically said, if any other country gets involved, the consequences will be, you know, detrimental, but you know, worse than you've ever seen in your history. And I was like, I don't think he planned. I think we need to stop. <laughs> I think if there's one thing we can, can say without a doubt is that he's not playing. He's not you playing. You gotta have pretty big balls to go and attack a country. Absolutely. Um, did you hear or listen to his other speech, the one that he had circulating on all no, the No, I tried not to because I don't want to be on the FBI watch list. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> speech. Exactly. Um, he was basically like, when the U.S. wanted to go to war with Afghanistan, they did some crazy shit and no one cared then. So I don't know why y'all are caring now, is basically what he was saying. Well, because Ukraine didn't like, attack you, though. It's like, sir, what? That, that's, that, that, no, you're trying to compare apples and oranges. Like Ukraine didn't do nothing to you. You just came out of the house and was like, yeah. "Come outside. We just want to talk to you." And you, Ukraine has been—I don't know—is it called? I think they're calling it decommunizing or something. Everything yeah. they're just like getting rid of all of the mm -hmm. communist buildings and things that are named after communist. Yeah, um, all these things. And Putin was like, "Oh, if you want to get rid of communism, that's fine. I'll come and take you all back, and you can just be yeah." Because they Russia used again. to be, yeah, they used to be a part of Russia mm -hmm. at one point, and then they and that's what the whole thing is. He's stuff. saying that you are only giving that you only got to be mm -hmm. Ukraine because of everything that happened with communist Russia and all yeah. of these things. So you belong to us, and I'm taking you back. I just don't listen. I, I'm not a political person. I'm just saying the president of Ukraine got some balls because he's been on the front lines and that's what i think should happen if you're gonna go to war you need to be on the front lines with your soldiers. also if you're gonna lead a country yes absolutely that man is like hey biden we don't i don't need a ride because biden was like hey you need some you know some help getting biden's out of that country. like if i was you i'd get the fuck out yeah of he's like i can send a plane for you he's like no bro send the guns so mm -hmm. i just think that's i mean putin if you're not out there you know fighting alongside your soldiers i don't think they should be there i mean and during Black History Month, Jesus, everything happens during Black History it's Month. It's ridiculous. So I thought to are with them. War, when I think of war, war to me is like Lion Witch in the Wardrobe, Peter Pan, <laughs> like Peter Pan is like war. To you know, you? Peter Pan in the beginning when they're having bomb ba raids and Bang stuff. <laughs> okay, like war isn't something that happens now. Yeah, that's insane. No, because I think we can talk it out. <laughs> Use we've your got, words. We've got Zoom. We've, we've got, got translators. FaceTime. Man, there. Man, oh man, are there ways to fix things before it comes to war? Because the thing is, I, like, here's the thing: you got China, Russia, and North Korea. Poof, that's a hell of a lineup. And then you got us, France, and Germany. My money's not on us. And South Korea and Japan, but I'm just. It's not on either, anybody because you what you're going to do, you're going to blow everybody up and then everybody going to be dead. So then what was the purpose of war? And then they say women are so emotional. They'll go to war in a minute. War is only started by men. Like, yeah, not, no one's ever even given us the opportunity to start a war. This is what I'm saying. Elizabeth Warren would have never. She would have. She would have run circles around your hose. Hillary her Clinton would have never gone to war. OK, she had enough issue with Benghazi, so she definitely wouldn't have did it. But anyway, our thoughts and prayers are with the people of Ukraine. Truly. Um, I pray that everybody gets out. Even I did hear about some uh, unfortunate racism that's going on right now where Nigerian students have been trying to get out of the country and they are literally blocking, Ukrainians are blocking, allegedly blocking Nigerians from getting out of the country and literally pull it, putting pulling them off of buses and trains and stuff like that. So it's disgusting that even in the midst of war, racism is still ever present. It's fucking ridiculous. But anyway. They're like, we don't have much, but what we do have racism, racism. it's crazy but um yeah and our thoughts and prayers thoughts and prayers are also with the uh russian uh military 
personnel who do not want to go to war. Those who love Mother Russia and are like, yes, let's do it. Mother Russia. Uh, but I also think that the Proud Boys should have to go over there and fight. <laughs> Since y'all want to fight so bad, I think you should have to go over there. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Anyway, what are you watching? Before we get to our special guest. <laughs> um, we already talked about Genius, which yes. if you like hip-hop music, if you ever liked Kanye West... If you're just looking for something cool to watch, I like found footage stuff. I like I like stuff like that. Too. I like stuff like because I think it's just so interesting. It makes me want to like record myself. Yes, all the it time. makes me want to record because I'm yeah. sure there's things that happen. You never know what's gonna be big. Like yeah, they never thought. I mean, a lot of people didn't think Kanye was gonna be shit, right? And obviously he's a mm-hmm. big person now. But so you record these events and like mm-hmm. people who are around that you think are never gonna be anything, and then it's like, oh wow, I can't believe you captured that. Yeah. Um, and I watched Tinder, Tinder Swindler. Holy shit. I keep shit. hearing about that. Is it, is it like one season or is it just like a movie? It's a limited was series. Was it episodes or was it a movie? I don't know. You saw it. I Time passes so weird on Netflix. Well, I couldn't even tell you. Um, but basically it's this guy who is swindling all these women out of their money. He pretends to be. But here's my thing. So he pretends to be this very wealthy man but like first dates he's taking people on private jets they're flying places he's staying in nice places he dresses really nice he has all this expensive stuff so like why wouldn't you believe that this man was rich it's kind of that thing so when but then he'll be like uh can i borrow three thousand dollars you're like if you're rich that's how i know you're not rich. <laughs> if you're rich why the fuck do you need to borrow money from me but he'll be like oh my money and people are crazy enough to do it multiple women lent him so basically like he does this with one woman right and gets money from her he uses that money to impress the next woman so by the time the first one figures it out he's already moved on to the next one and he just goes from girl to girl oh my and God. finally these girls got together after he like bankrupts them which like the idea that you would let a man take all that money from you what? these women are taking out loans for him let me tell you something i had a boyfriend in high school or college early college and he asked me for a dollar to get him an extra burger and i said no <laughs> you think i'm gonna go on my account and get three thousand dollars no, to give not, you yo what i'm not ta- your mind i'm not taking out a loan for anyone but my stupid self i bear i listen i shouldn't have taken out no loans for <laughs> no. myself but jesus i didn't want to do that hundreds of thousands of dollars of loans these women have taken out and he, they're how are they gonna pay it back do they need a physical therapist because i can come in and do some physical therapy man they're Jesus. bankrupt now they don't have any money but there's other women like that that's the sad part that oh, will yeah. sit there and do that so it was super interesting also just seeing this man like when he had money versus when he didn't money makes everyone look good oh absolutely man so that's what i was watching men are trash and um i just don't think that i would ever be like oh you need some money and you promise to pay me back mm-hmm. let me go take out a loan I'm not even fucking giving, paid I'm not even giving my husband money. <laughs> you better go get it on your own, brother. Oh, yeah. So that's, that's what crazy. I've been watching. I haven't been watching anything else. I'm kidding. I will give my husband money. Um, Abbott Elementary, so good still. Still watching I, it. I, listen, Kinta is... I pray that because of the success of this show, they kind of give her the, the creative freedom like how HBO did, did with, with Issa, Issa Rae. Rae because it's she, hilarious i'm laughing she's out bringing loud. back abc i'm sorry the, she um, principal on that show hilarious hilarious she has a comedy special out oh really on netflix yeah everything she says i'm dying laughing she's crazy because when I, I first saw this comedy special on netflix and i was just like who is this lady this is before abbott elementary Ab- Ab- abbott elementary came out 
And then when I saw Abbott Elementary, I was like, <laughs> I, I went back to watch the special again because at the first time I kind of just was like, oh, it's just something to watch. But mm-hmm. it puts it in perspective and it is hilarious. Gosh, Absolutely so hilarious. Funny. What do you watch? But um, I've actually watched two things on Netflix. Miss um, Pat, y'all know I'm obsessed with Miss Pat, mm-hmm. um, comedian Miss Pat. She actually has a Netflix special. That was wow. her, her first um, hour special on Netflix. It was directed by uh, Robert Townsend, um, who did Five Heartbeats. I mean, uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, and Parenthood, I think that's what I love. Parenthood. Yeah. So he was on there and wait, um, no, I'm the thinking Parent of, Trap. I'm thinking of Blackish. I don't know why that. No, <laughs> no, Parenthood. <laughs> I did love Parenthood. Though. Oh, okay, okay. that was a good one. Yeah, but um, so yeah, Miss Pat, she has her uh, one-hour comedy special on Netflix. It's really hilarious. Um, especially if you've been following her, you kind of know some of the stories, but still the way that she puts it in context, hilarious. And then also, um, this actually just came out Friday. Uh, Tyler Perry's Medea's Homecoming, where he literally kind of reinvents at the end uh Beyonce's Coachella performance and has Medea these shorts and it is hilarious man but uh it he brings to light the the stage play um Madea's farewell tour mm-hmm. where like the guy he's graduating the the grandson is graduating from college and everybody comes back to celebrate him and all that kind of stuff so those are the only two things I've been watching this past I week. did see that movie Uncharted with um Marky Mark. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom Holland. Yeah, was it good? It was cute. I feel like anything with Mark Wahlberg is good. He is just, like, the best amount of funny mm-hmm. and action. I yeah. really do enjoy him. And Tom Holland was actually really good, too. He yeah. was just kicking out movies. Really? Yeah. Well, people had so much time in the pandemic. I mean. That's true. Um, and then I saw Death on the Nile with mm. Gal Gadot and Army Hammer. Mm. And I thought Army Hammer was canceled. I guess he's not. He was in this movie. What was he canceled for? Cannibalism. Like real cannibalism? Well, do you remember when all the, you remember he got in trouble because all those girls came out and they were like, he said he wanted to take a bite out of me. He said he wanted to do all this weird kinky sex shit. No, no. I don't like that. Oh, okay, never mind. Well, him and his wife got divorced and she moved to the Caymans and he kind of got ousted. Interesting. Um, but now he's back and he's in the movie. And he did good. Death on the okay. Nile. Well, and I he did a great job. I guess he's no longer canceled then. That's, I that's guess, awesome. you know, you can eat people. Yeah, you got to meet them where they are. Well, yeah, and then, oh, you don't remember, but like, so all these girls released these texts that he had sent them, and it mm-hmm. was just like, he was into weird kinky sex shit, but then he would say like, I want to eat you, like take a bite out of you, all of this stuff. But then people went back on Instagram, and he's always posting like pictures of meat, like raw meat, and everyone's like, this is weird. I only follow black people. <laughs> Well, you're weird. missing the drama. Nah, I don't want that kind of drama in my life. Nah. Um, but yeah, that's yeah, that's what I've been doing. Well, interesting. Well, if you want cannibalism, go ahead and watch Mark Warburton and uh, what's his name? No, the, Mark. The cannibalism is Death on the Nile. Yeah, Death on the Nile. Mark Mark Wahlberg Mark, would, never, he would never. He would, he would never. never. Not at all. All right, y'all. We're gonna get into our special guest today. Uh, Dr. Captain. You're going to love her. You're going to love her. So yeah. So stay around for our amazing special. Cause I'm telling y'all, y'all do not want to miss this. It, it was it's good. Amazing talk. Amazing. Uh, good wisdom and experience and knowledge. So yeah. Um, yeah. So without further ado, uncut jam. All right, let's just take a quick break and we'll be right back. This episode of the face off with Fleming and Fowler is sponsored by myapothecary.com. My Apothecary is the premier online destination for hemp-derived CBD that will help you curate a wealthy lifestyle. 
CBD is one of many restorative compounds found in the cannabis plant. Its benefits include decreased pain, improved mood, decreased anxiety, and much more. Some of y'all know that I have crazy ADHD, so I'm heavily medicated at all times, and I've been taking CBD oil at night to kind of calm me down, get me ready for bed. 1010 would recommend. Worried about regulations? The passing of the 2018 Farm Bill made hemp-derived CBD legal to sell and consume. So yes, CBD is 100% legal and perfect for every person of legal age. My Apothecary's featured line, Broad Bloom, offers broad-spectrum CBD oil drops, sports cream, and soft gels. These products have no THC, so you can stay fly without the high or zen without the spin. Shop now at www.myapothecary.com and sign up for their newsletter to get exclusive offers, product releases, and CBD news. Remember to always check with your healthcare provider before consuming any supplement. You must be 21 to purchase and consume, and shipping is only available in the U.S. of A. Don't forget to shop at www.myapothecary.com. We definitely have a, an amazing special guest that's here today with us. Um, this person actually happens to be my cousin, and she is an amazing black woman as we continue this series on black excellence um, in the person of Dr. Crystal Foreman. Um, actually, wait, what's your, your actual, uh, your rank in the military? I'm a captain. Oh, ca Ooh. so is it, is it Captain Doctor or is it Dr. Captain? It's either or. Okay, so yeah. Captain Dr. Crystal she Foreman. She's Captain Doctor today. That's very true. She is a graduate of the University of Georgia. Um, go Bulldogs, correct? Yes. Just go dogs. Go dogs. dogs. Oh, not Bulldogs. Dogs. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go I, dogs. Mean, I went to the HBCU, so you know. I don't, oh, I don't we know can't about get through one episode without her bringing up. <laughs> That's right. HBCU. That's right. Her sister went to two. Uh, uh, they went to two different HBCUs, and uh, so did her dad. So. Oh. <laughs> mm -hmm. HBCUs all around. Anyway, so um, a little bit about her. She actually graduated from the University of Georgia. Georgia um, with her bachelor's degree in exercise science um, in athletic training as well as she um, graduated from med school what was the school you went to again in Ch Chicago? Chicago Medical School Chicago Medical Chicago. School you've been around yeah. <laughs> lots of travel yeah and actually at the same time she uh, was in medical school she actually got her master's in healthcare administration isn't that insane like talk about somebody who loves school <laughs> everybody always thinks I love school I don't um but yeah so um and now she is a she's chief resident at the particular hospital that she's at obviously for privacy purposes we're not going to say where she actually works but um she is there so y'all welcome Dr. Captain Crystal Foreman Thank you. welcome 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 Welcome, welcome. We'll start with the easy ones, the softballs. Um, why did you go into medicine? What got you interested in medicine? All that good stuff. All right. So um, first off, thank you all for having me. Of course. Hey, thank no you problem. for being here. Appreciate it. Um, so what got me interested in medicine actually is my grandparents. Um, I've always enjoyed science and math, like growing up. Um, and I feel like this is a pretty typical story. But my grandparents, they got sick. Uh, around the time we moved back to Georgia from San Antonio, actually. And uh, my sisters and I, and of course my parents and aunts, we were all involved in taking care of them. At one point, it uh, got to the point where they required 24-hour care. And so helping them out around the house, getting them to, to and from doctor's appointments. Um, and I just got kind of got to see uh, the medical system up close. Mm -hmm. I was um, in high school at the time, about to go off to college, and um, that kind of started my journey. I was initially hesitant because I did not know any black physicians uh, personally. Um, I did not know that that was a possibility for me. And so I kind of 
limited myself um, and in choosing my um, my um, my major in mm-hmm. college. Sorry, I'm having a brain fart. Um, Welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, to cut the story short, that's my grandparents is, are kind of what inspired me to go into medicine um, and to be a primary care physician specifically. So did you go into the, so were you already in the military and then went to med school or were you kind of, you went the route of going into the military and then going to med school? Did I just ask the same question twice? I think I did. Kind of, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's going to be a fun hour. Y'all know what I meant to try to ask. Yes, (laughs) I think I understand the question. Um, So it's a little bit of both. I had no intentions of going Mm -hmm. into the military. Both my parents were in it and there, I wasn't opposed to it. It just wasn't the lifestyle Mm -hmm. that I saw for myself. But when I found out I had gotten into medical school, I was like, oh, my goodness, this school is very expensive. (laughs) How am I going to pay for this? I'm going to be, like, paying off loans forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know who approached me with the idea. It might have been my mom, Mm -hmm. but she was like, have you looked into some military scholarships? And I said no. Um, And so I applied for and got this scholarship called the Health Professions Scholarship Program. Mm -hmm. And... um, they cover all of your uh, tuition and fees for medical school, wow. which is really nice. They also give you a stipend to live off of. Wow. Um, I should do that. Good things <laughs> so, the government does. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really nice. I mean, there is a payback, um, and I am in the process of doing that now, so yeah. serving for a period of time, depending on um, which scholarship you get. Okay. But um, so that's how I got into the military, specifically the Army. They have it for Air Force, Army, and Navy. The scholarship. Mm-hmm. And I chose Army just because my parents were in the Army. And Go that was Army. what I was most familiar with. So. Hoorah. Yeah. Hoorah. Is that? Hoorah. What did I say? Oh, Hoorah. my God. <laughs> I'm not in the military. You get canceled apologize. every week. It was close. She was close. She was close. That's why we're not in the military. Exactly. <laughs> Definitely. Did you have to do basic training? No, we had to do a version of basic training. Um, it was called, oh, I'm blanking on the name, but uh, during medical school, I w- came out here to San Antonio, actually, for about six weeks. And... Um, it was like we stayed in hotels, and so it was not. <laughs> See, that's always my not thing. People always of. say like, yeah. "Join the military, you can travel. They'll pay for your school." And I'm like, right. "I'm not a, I'm not a military girl. I can't no. run, and I don't like when people yell at me. I'll cry." And then everyone says, "Like, it's always basic training." I'm like, I cannot do basic training. Yeah. And- so it's not the basic training you think of when you see like movies or mm-hmm. TV shows. There were G.I. Com- Jane. Yeah. <laughs> we did at one point, we were staying in like little tents or huts, mm-hmm. um, but it was for like a couple of days. And yeah. we did do some of like the more typical um, army type things. Mm-hmm. Like uh, we did like land navigation. We had to do a PT or like physical fitness, that sort uh-huh. of stuff. Oof. Wake up early. But for the most part, it wasn't it wasn't too bad. Gotcha. Maybe we should join the military. I think I'm too old now. No. You can really? Get, you can get a waiver. Actually, yeah, you could get a waiver. Really? Um, they could do What's it. the age cutoff? Is there an age That's cutoff? That's what I was about to say. I don't know what the age cutoff is. I don't have is. knees for the military, 40 though. something, right? I, I think it is 40. I, th- I think you're young enough. You wouldn't even need a, wa- see, a waiver. I don't, I don't know that I want to be a... We get some great a... content. Yeah, but there's a lot of stuff we can't talk about because of the military. Yeah, so that'll true. be an issue. That's but true. I don't know. I don't have the knees for the military or the back. <laughs> I, I go in already like, uh, how can I get out? Right. <laughs> but yeah, it's so, I mean, you know, the fact that this is still uh, Black History Month, they're kind of coming off of the cusp of Black History Month and, you know, talking about representation and black, you are a black physician. Um, how, how was your experience as a person of color going to a medical school? So I was really fortunate. Um, I went to medical school in Chicago and to kind of backtrack, I did not get accepted to medical school the first time I applied. Mm-hmm. 
And so I did this program, it's called the pre-matriculation program, and it basically helps um, applicants that were unsuccessful in getting into medical school uh, get into a medical school. And so they kind of do like prep courses, um, help you study for the MCAT and prepare for that exam. And the particular um, program that I did, we actually got to take classes with medical students. And so we're taking the same classes they were taking um, and kind of get that experience. And if you did well in the classes, Mm -hmm. which I thankfully did, um, you get granted an interview. And um, I was fortunate enough to um, get accepted into that particular medical school, which I'm really grateful for. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. And a lot of the students that were doing the pre-matriculation program with me, they also got accepted. Mm -hmm. And so it's mostly minorities, so Hispanic, African-American. And so I already had that kind of support system in place. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say my class was, I think, 190, 200 people. Mm -hmm. And there were maybe... Maybe 10 of us at most. Whoa. Yeah. Um, And over all four years, so you're looking at like 800 students, maybe 50 or so, 30. And I'm probably probably like overestimating. So I knew most of the Mm -hmm. underrepresented students, Mm -hmm. and we kind of formed a a good support network. And then there were a few faculty at the school as well that were uh, underrepresented, and, and they kind of looked out for us. And so I was fortunate in that way. But... I will say it was hard. Um, like when you go out on rotations, third mm-hmm. and fourth year, I was usually one of the only, you know, black females mm-hmm. um, rotating and interacting with, you know, our, our attending physicians and residents. And so that was challenging, um, always second guessing myself and being compared to my other classmates that didn't look like me. Mm-hmm. So some of my white male um, uh, colleagues. And so. Yeah, it was definitely challenging, but I'm also grateful that I had that support system to kind of lean on. And um, yeah, did you ever feel like because you were one of the only female people of color that you had to like be on on it all the time because like you are now this representation of so many other people? Yes, definitely. It's an added layer of pressure. Um, being a black female, being the first one in my family to go to medical school. Um, just feeling feeling like you don't want to fail. You don't want to let not only your family down, but then you feel like this added pressure of letting like your race down. You're like, I don't want to be the only black person to not make it, you know? Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's a psychological thing. It definitely affected my mental health, not only in medical school, but also when I started residency, which is also a very challenging uh, training environment. And so um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's tough. And I'm sure you all experience that too, Ooh. like with the field you're in. Oh, so, yeah. 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 So, I mean, even, even you kind of piggybacking on representation, um, and you kind of being, um, already a double minority, pretty much being a woman and a black female, I mean, being black, um, how many black teachers or people of like teachers of color, professors of color did you actually have in medical school? Zero. Zero. Wow. Wow. That taught like my core faculty classes. Yeah. So the first and second year of, of my medical school, at least, it's all classroom work mm-hmm. and tests and just learning like the basic sciences. Mm-hmm. Um, that I recall, there were none. There were black faculty at the school, mm-hmm. but they weren't necessarily teaching the classes that I were. What about on like your clinical rotations and stuff like that? Was it? Clinical rotations, there's a little bit more diversity. Yeah. Um, I did a lot of my rotations at a county hospital in Chicago. Mm. And so I did get the chance to interact with more um, minority physicians. But when I look back, not many of them were black. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. There were a lot of international graduates. Yeah. And so 
when I say diversity, that's mostly where it came from, mm-hmm. not necessarily black physicians. Gotcha. So you know how like um I know we, we kinda talk about this on the podcast as far as like the um the stigma about African Americans, especially in healthcare, how um, the disparate treatment of African Americans and people of color kind of happen on a regular basis, right? We can see that even, you know, with even celebrities who have money, look at what Serena Williams went through, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Like how, I guess, let me form it a, a, a kind of different way. Like, were you ever taught in medical school that black people don't feel pain the same way as other people? Or is that like a common myth of non-color of people why do I keep saying color of people? People without <laughs> color. BWCs. <laughs> White people. <laughs> like, was it was that taught or was that like a general consensus that other, other races felt like black people don't feel pain the same way, specifically black women? I was not taught that, but it is a very, like, known myth mm-hmm. within the medical community. And I've seen textbooks that mm-hmm. have stated that as like it was fact. Wow. And quoted studies that were done poorly um, to say the least. And so it is, it is a common myth. I Mm -hmm. think it's being debunked. A lot of people are speaking out about Mm -hmm. things like this um, and others related to um, how African-Americans in particular are viewed um, in the healthcare system. And Mm -hmm. so thankfully that was not something my medical school taught. Um, Question my degree if it was, Um, (laughs) but uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. I think, there's just so much bias. You know, we all have biases, mm-hmm. but as it relates to healthcare, when these like implicit or unconscious biases are affecting how people are being treated, mm-hmm. what treatments they're getting, how they're um, interacting with the healthcare system, mm-hmm. it definitely affects health outcomes. Um, and as you mentioned, it, it doesn't matter how successful you are, how mm-hmm. much money you have. Yeah, it's your it's your skin color, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's it's just unfortunate, but. Yeah. So what made you go specifically into internal medicine versus any other any other field? Because your background is in, you know, you have exercise science uh, degree and athletic training. What made you not want to go into orthopedics or something like that? Yeah. So I did do athletic training in undergrad Mm -hmm. and I initially did that because I was an athlete, grew up playing sports and thought that was the population I wanted to work with. I was very wrong. Nothing against athletes. (laughs) Definitely nothing against athletes. Still love sports. Um, I just didn't see myself working with them and enjoying Mm -hmm. it on a day-to-day basis. And so um, going back to my grandparents, Mm -hmm. uh, it was mostly primary care appointments that Mm -hmm. I was accompanying them to and getting getting to see them kind of interact with their PCM. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's really neat. You get to form these relationships, get to know their families, um, provide, you know, comprehensive care. And so I really liked that idea. Um, and so I was between family medicine and internal medicine, mm-hmm. um, and family medicine, you have to do peds and OB. And I was like, I don't like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't like sick kids. Yeah. I like kids, but not when they're sick right. and I am not trying to deliver anybody's baby. So <laughs> it was internal medicine. Yeah. I also like the fact that with internal medicine, you have the opportunity to subspecialize mm. and I decided not to, but, um, like if I wanted to be a cardiologist mm-hmm. or a gastroenterologist, I had that opportunity oh, yeah. cool. that you don't have with family medicine. So. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So like, have you ever been, um, you know, being, a chief resident where you where you work and kind of the experience that you've had even you know being in Chicago and stuff like that have you personally ever been discriminated against by either patients or colleagues or you know you come in because I know with Alyssa and I sometimes when we see patients they're just like oh nurse oh you're the tech and it's just like no we're actually the evaluating therapist but okay like have you ever gone through that experience or 
you know, what's your take on that? Definitely. Um, at my hospital now, unfortunately, it happens more often than not. Mm-hmm. Um, getting mistaken for the nurse or the um, like the cleaning lady mm-hmm. or someone that's oh, supposed that to be like me. It pisses bringing me off now. Food. But I'm not a doctor. That would really piss me off. <laughs> like I will walk in in my white coat, yeah. crisp, clean. Um, and that's part of the reason I wear my white coat, mm-hmm. honestly. A lot of doctors don't, at least in my hospital, they'll mm-hmm. wear like jackets. Um, but part of the reason I wear mine is so that I do get that respect. Not mm-hmm. saying that I have like this complex or something where I want people to respect me, but I want people to know that I'm their doctor yeah. and that, you know, I've worked hard for this degree. Um, but even if I'm wearing my, do- my white coat, mm-hmm. people will still say, oh, can you, can you order this for me? Or can you pass me my tray? Oh or can you go get my food? <laughs> um, just, you know, constant microaggressions I've yeah. had. And this thankfully didn't happen to me, but one of my colleagues, um, another black female physician, one of her patients told um, her medical student that she didn't feel he didn't feel comfortable having so many black people on his care team. Wow. Um, I... So statements like that have been made. Jeez. One of my friends um, was called the N word by a patient mm. um, in the middle of her doing an evaluation. And so, um, and then I've had, you know, friends or people I thought were friends, you know, say things like, I don't want my baby to be too dark um, right in front of me. And I'm just, it's, it blows my mind how insensitive people are um, and their their lack of awareness, Mm -hmm. but definitely it happens. And I've gotten to the point where I almost feel like, you know, I don't want to fight anymore. It's just like, every time you address something, it's just it's kind of another burden I feel like I'm putting on myself. And so, um, but I, I encourage others to, and, um, she's like, but everyone else, you, yeah. pick your house, <laughs> you keep going. So I'm, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like, uh, do I want to fight this battle right now? Well, it's yeah. even more frustrating when you say something and then nothing changes right. or they keep doing it. Yes. Oh gosh, that's exhausting. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I kind of want to kind of segue a little bit into, um, kind of like the pharmaceutical aspect when it comes to race and kind of what you do as a physician, because of course, um, Alyssa and I, we cannot prescribe medications whatsoever. Um, yet. Yet. Well, I mean, we have oh. P- uh, PTs had vision 2020, but why, uh, where by the eight, by the year 2020, um, they wanted us to be able to prescribe medications like low level uh, medications. Um, and that's, I think that's one of the reasons too, why we took, um, the pharmacology class that we had to take in PT school was very extensive. Um, but like big pharma has been this really big, monster right in in society and i think it's um it's affected more people of color than our counterparts unfortunately but then when it starts to affect the counterparts then it's like oh well we got to do something about it especially with the opioid crisis and stuff like that so with regard to how you prescribe medicine or how medicine is prescribed as a whole as physicians why does it seem like physicians are so quick to prescribe medications versus taking a more holistic approach where we know, you know, food, let your food be your medicine and different things like that, like herbal supplements and stuff like that. So why is pharmaceuticals always push so much? Yeah. And I would say different physicians have different philosophies on that. Um, and it depends on where you work and your practice pattern, Mm -hmm. but, um, in general, and I can't speak for all physicians, but the holistic approach that you, um, refer to, Um, the immediate thing that came to mind was behavior change. Mm -hmm. And so taking a more holistic approach requires the patient to buy in um, and work towards changing whatever behavior it is Mm -hmm. that has led to them, you know, developing diabetes or hypertension. Um, And that can be challenging. I think within 
our healthcare system, especially for primary care doctors, it's so challenging with the time constraints that we have to address all of their needs. And so, you know, prescribing a medication to say, hey, you know, take this, this will help lower your A1C Mm -hmm. is a lot easier um, and less time intensive than saying, hey, let's get you to a nutritionist. Let's Mm -hmm. get you to um, a psychologist so we can figure out, you know, what's really behind your eating, your eating patterns. Mm -hmm. It's also hard for patients to do because that requires a lot of time. Like Mm -hmm. if they can't barely make it to their doctor's appointments, how can I expect them to also make it to see a nutritionist mm-hmm. and see a, a psychologist or, or whatever? Um, and so I think it, there's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, I try to gauge my patient's ability to do certain things. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, and I'm still developing my practice pattern, but I think partnering with patients is huge and figuring out where you can meet them. So if they think you know, the only thing that will help them in this, you know, current state is a medication, like they don't have time to change their diet or can't afford to change their diet. That's what we'll go go for. But if they're like, no, I want to, you know, avoid medications. I want to, you know, try and exercise more, whatever it is. I'm saying, okay, okay, let's try that for a few months, see how it goes. Um, And then we can continue to have discussions on how best to treat. Yeah. So is there any, like, because I know, like, um, I'm sorry, my mic was a little weird. Um, like I know in in PT school, you know, we kind of were taught about um, medical physicians and how the gold standard is really the way that you practice, right? And that if you go against that gold standard of care, then you know certain implication could happen with your license and stuff like that. So how um, how readily available is that in your brain? Like as far as your thinking is concerned, when you're diagnosing or when you're prescribing something for a patient, like how how much do you think about the actual gold standard versus what the patient is actually asking themselves? It depends on what I've diagnosed the patient with. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that came to mind was heart failure. Yeah. If you have a certain type of heart failure, there are medications that have been proven time and again mm-hmm to help you manage your heart failure and to improve your ejection fraction. Um, And so in patients like that, you know, I am, I do lean more towards medications because they're proven to work in conjunction with things like, um, you know, managing the underlying cause of their heart failure, whatever that may be. For things like diabetes, hypertension, there are gold standards, there are guidelines, but medicine is an art and they are, several different ways that you can approach someone's diabetes. Mm -hmm. There's a general, there's general guidelines. um, And I would say as long as you're within those guidelines, which do include like holistic approaches, so diet, exercise, those sorts of things, um, then you'd be okay Mm -hmm. as far as uh, like legal, legal action being taken against you for, for um, uh, not managing someone's condition appropriately. Have you always been in a hospital setting? Have you always worked in the hospital setting? Yes, but I also do a clinic as well. So okay. internists traditionally um, have done both. They're um, more recently, uh, intern- internal medicine physicians specifically have been encouraged to choose one track or the other. So by that I mean either just doing clinic or just being what they call hospitalist. So just mm-hmm. being on the inpatient side. Um, because of my job and the way it's structured, I do a little bit of both. Okay. Why does it feel like physicians are always in such a rush to like get in and out of the room? They like tell the patient three things. We found this, we're doing this, this is how it should work. And then they're out of there. On the inpatient side? Yeah, on the inpatient side. Yeah. That I think also has to do with the way our system is structured. 
and how many patients they're managing. Um, and I won't just blame it on our healthcare system. Some physicians just, you know, they don't want to take the time to sit down with patients, which is something I like to do when I'm on the inpatient side. Um, cause I think it goes a long way in showing the patient that, you know, you're not, you know, just here to tell them what to do. Um, but you want to kind of have a conversation make sure they understand what, what you're explaining to them. Um, and that they agree with how you want to want to treat them. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's a combination of both. I think medicine is very fast paced. There's always something going on, something you need to address, especially on the inpatient side, things change so frequently. Uh Um, and so balancing all of that while also committing enough time to be there with the patients and talk to them, it can, it can be really challenging, but I think there's a number of factors. One, healthcare system, the way it's structured, the amount of patients we're required to see, and then two, just personal physician kind of preferences and their styles of practicing. So in kind of like piggybacking off that with regard to kind of helping bridge gaps, cause, you know, we deal with a lot of patients who are, you know, two generations before us. Right. And so being able to, and especially people of color, specifically black people, there's been this huge strain because of history, right? We know with enslaved days and how they practice on, you know, African-Americans without any anesthesia and also too, without their consent. Um, you know, we can even go as early as Henrietta Lacks, right. By using her stem, her cells um, without permission. And how do we, how do you as a physician help to, kind of bridge the gap intergenerationally with getting our grandparents and our parents to be able to go to the physicians to trust them and building back the trust of physicians and the community. So to be honest, I have not found an effective strategy. Um, <laughs> well, thank you for your honesty. It is, it is very challenging, um, but I have encountered that mm-hmm. with my older uh, black patients. I had a I remember this very vividly. A patient was like, no, I don't want to take this medication because of Tuskegee. Mm. Like he said that. It's like a buzzword. Yes, it is a buzzword. But you're right. It goes way beyond Tuskegee, Henrietta mm. Lacks. Like we've been experimented on for centuries. Right. Um, and had to face, you know, so many terrible things from the medical system in the name of science. But um, so I think. For the outpatient, I'll say um, the little success that I have had with a few of my patients, I think it's about meeting them where they are, getting to know them. Mm -hmm. So I am able to have, in some cases, longer conversations Mm -hmm. with my patients in the outpatient setting. So my primary care patients, um, I take that relationship very seriously. Mm -hmm. I try to not only get to know them, but their family life, what's going on at home, try to gain an understanding of where they're coming from. You know, why do you not want to take this medication? Why don't you want to get the vaccine? Um, And just trying to meet meet them where they are. And I will say, I've never been successful in, you know, just one setting. Mm -hmm. I usually have to have repeated conversations over and over again. And just to kind of break down those barriers and walls that they've built up. And like I said, I've not been very successful. I have had a few patients. <laughs> You're where, working against a lot of history. Yeah, so. definitely. Like, yeah. But also I've had patients and this really like warms my heart where at the end of the encounter, both inpatient and outpatient, they'll say, you know, I'm so proud of you. Mm-hmm. And they don't even have to say anything else. Like is older black ladies. I know what they mean when they yeah. say that. It's like, they're proud of me because they, they've never had a doctor that yeah. looks like me. And one of my um, PCM patients, she she literally had never had a black female physician. Uh, she's 90, 
94 years old. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I'll tell you, when we see black female physicians and nurse practitioners mm-hmm. in the hospital, we're both like, yes. Yes. Girl empowerment. <laughs> we black love, black. and anything they say, I'm like, yeah, what do you need? Let's yep. do it. I'll do it for there, you. There's an unspoken language yeah. that you yeah. have. You can just give just a look like, and you're you just girl. like, yes. We got you. Girl. Yes. I know. They're crazy, right? Woo. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. No, so, I'm, I'm the same. So even kind of like the fact that you brought up the vaccine, especially with COVID kind of going on, um, you know, how how are physicians even in the hospital setting or even in, in uh, private practice being able to kind of help bridge the gap between the community and social media? Social media is such a devil. It's horrible. I mean, it's great for certain things. Obviously, we're on a podcast. Yeah, well, we use social yeah, media. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say social media is good, but there's a, it's a, it's a, a catch-22 and it's a double-edged sword because you have a lot of people that are getting their information from social media influencers and celebrities and, you know, other news outlets or bloggers that have no... have never even stepped foot in the hospital have never even taken a biology class and so they're giving out all of this misinformation and then on top of that the cdc is kind of unfortunately um kind of double downing on some of the things that they've been saying or um changing different things and so the amount of change so is is happening at such a rapid pace so how are physicians how are you as a physician handling trying to bridge that gap of education with the community when it comes to COVID 19 and the vaccine specifically Yeah, that's also very challenging. I think going back to your earlier question about um, like building bonds and building trust with your patients, I think having that foundation is really helpful um, because I have had conversations with patients that, you know, were hesitant to get the vaccine, but because, you know, I've been their PCM for the last three years, Mm -hmm. they knew me, they trusted me. And some of them will literally, you know, say, I trust you, doc, whatever you tell me to do, which, you know, isn't always the, the best uh, view, I would say, but in all situations. But I think building trust is is really important. And thankfully, a lot of my patients are older, so they're like mm-hmm. 70, 80, so they're not on social media. Yeah, <laughs> but, <very true>. <laughs> <laughs> but they do have, they do watch the news. Yeah. Um, they do, you know, listen to what's being put out by the mm-hmm. CDC. And um, again, I don't have a, a super effective strategy for this either, but I think building trust and mm-hmm. getting to know your patients and um, I think they, they'll listen to you if they've you know been with you for, for some time and trust mm-hmm. that you've got their best interest at heart. Yeah. So in situations like where you have either witnessed or heard about, um, you know, kind of horrible treatment of um, or discriminatory treatment of a, of a black patient or a person of color, what does your advocacy look like as a physician? Like when you see things happening in real time or have heard about it, do you go back and change stuff or like what does your advocacy look like as a person of color dealing with people of color as well? So it varies um, real time, like addressing things real time. Mm-hmm. Um, is one approach. Um, Education. So I'm a part of this group at my hospital that is working to educate and raise awareness about things like implicit bias, microaggressions. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, under kind of the DEI umbrella. Um, And so that's one route. And I think that that goes a long way because people don't know what they don't know. Like a lot Mm -hmm. of people don't even recognize that they have these biases um, or that what they're saying is offensive in any way. And so you know, flat out saying, you know, what you said, Bob, is offensive. Like, yeah. you can't say that. Um, they're like, oh, I didn't know I couldn't say that. <laughs> like, yeah, no, you can't say that. Um, <laughs> so so that's one way, or that's two ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think getting out into the community um, and getting to know, you know, the people that you're serving. And it's, I guess, less um, 
not effective, but it's less of an issue with the hospital setting that I'm working in. But I was fortunate enough to work at a, or serve at a public hospital in mm-hmm. Chicago, and they did a lot of work with the community. And that's how they, they found out, you know, what the issues that were important for that community, what they were facing in terms of health. And so they were able to not only recognize those issues, but then develop programs to address mm-hmm. those issues. And so, again, going back to partnering with your patients, partnering with the community to figure out, you know, what their what their issues are, what what they perceive to be the issue, and then going about and figuring out a way along with them to address that issue. Yeah. Do you see a lot of disparities between the kind of care that's given to people of color versus people without color? And even like the insured versus the uninsured? Yeah. So for the insured versus uninsured, all of my patients, with the exception of maybe a couple that come in as like traumas, are insured. Yeah. Um, but going back to medical school, like I said, I worked at a huge public hospital. Mm-hmm. And so the majority of those patients were uninsured. And I would say for the most part, they all got quality care. But that was because we were in a hospital setting where yeah. every, pretty much everyone care. was uninsured. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there are differences. And I've witnessed them. Mm-hmm. Um, and most recent being there was a black female that came into our hospital. Um, and she had, is what? Some people would refer to as a frequent flyer. I don't like that terminology, but it just means she's. We kind have, of, those, we have like those on the negative side. It is a very negative connotation, which I don't like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, they, have yeah those. we have them. <laughs> and she has very legitimate health problems mm-hmm. that need to be addressed. She also has a lot of social issues that, for a number of reasons, haven't been adequately addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when people like that come into the ED, there, again, is this negative connotation placed on them. There's these perceived notions like, oh, they're just here for uh, opioids mm-hmm. or they're just here because what X, Y, and Z. And so she sat in the emergency department for upwards of eight hours oh, and my was not treated. She was anemic. So her um, hemoglobin had, was like 6.4 when Jeez, she came in. So she needed blood products. Um, she was hypertensive. So her blood pressures were in like the 180s for the majority of the time she was down there. Seriously. And, you know, I, when we got called as medicine to admit her, I talked to the ED provider and I was like, well, why haven't you given her blood? What Mm -hmm. are you doing to treat her blood pressure? Mm -hmm. And he, his explanation was just for lack of a better term, just piss poor. It was just unfathomable. Like that he basically felt like I felt like he had forgotten about her Mm And I didn't have any, you know, there's never any, I don't say never, but there usually isn't any sort of hard proof. Like Mm -hmm. he's not going to come out and be like, oh, I didn't treat her because she's black. Yeah. But (laughs) it'd be very bold. Yeah. (laughs) In my mind, I knew the fact that one, she's a black female and Mm -hmm. she's in and out of the ED, um, just set her up or a poor outcome. And thankfully mm-hmm. she, we, we got her upstairs and she was eventually discharged in a few days, but still um, it's just that case still sits with me. Mm-hmm. And so I filed a report against um, the physician that was Good involved in her care. And um, it's still, I'm not, I won't go into details, yeah. but yeah. It's still under investigation mm-hmm. and doing all the stuff that it's supposed to be doing. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like you have to be very careful about stepping on other physicians toes when it comes to stuff like that? Yes, because I do not, I'm one of, now that my colleague is graduated, I'm the only black 
female um, within my program, so within mm-hmm. internal medicine, like the residency. And so it's very easy to identify me. And I do not <laughs> I do not want to become known as like angry black woman mm-hmm. or the diversity woman yeah. or, mm-hmm. you know, something along those lines. I want to be known for practicing good medicine. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I have to balance that because I can't just let everything, you know, slide by and say, yeah. oh, well, I, I don't have to address that. Because um, things need to be addressed, yeah. even though it is exhausting. Um, and at times I don't want to, but I know that is hard. I feel like people only do things like that doctor did when they know they can get away with it, which yeah. means they've done it before. And that always sits weird with me. I hate it. Cause you know, you are tired and you're like, mm-hmm. it probably, whatever, but she's okay the, now we got her, but it could happen again and it could happen to someone else. But I think too, the accountability, I think sometimes the person may take it more seriously when the accountability comes from someone of their same caliber versus mm-hmm. if a nurse is saying it, they're just, Oh, it's just a nurse, whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just a PT yeah. or an OT versus no, no, no. I, we're on the same level here. We're on the same playing field. And what you did was absolutely wrong. This will not happen again. Cause if it, if it does, this is the consequence that you're going to meet. So um, I definitely think that that was, you know, very brave of you to do that. Cause there are some physicians who'd be like, no, nah, my monkey's not my circus. I know I got to that point. <laughs> <laughs> when you we hear the patient yelling in a room, you're just walking right by it. Like, don't like, don't look at him. No, don't, don't make eye contact. Just I've never don't heard do it. that one before. Not my monkeys, <laughs> monkeys not, not my, my circus. circus. That's mm-hmm. a frequent phrase around here. Yes, just definitely. Keep pushing. Yeah, we use it. So even even kind of piggybacking on exhaustion, you know, I think. In the healthcare industry, we always, from our view, especially being therapists, we know how exhausted we are, right? Especially from COVID and everything like that. The nurses are overwhelmed. They're underpaid. The, our respiratory therapists, ancillary staff, mm-hmm. right? And I think sometimes we we kind of do forget about the physicians because we look at them as, y'all ain't doing nothing no way. The nurses are doing everything. You know what I mean? Like, you guys are just setting up the patient and you intake them and then that's it. You just leave them alone. But there are so many things that I think we don't think about on a daily basis about physicians. So like, what does self-care look like for you as a physician, being that gatekeeper and being responsible for literally all of these patients that we don't get a chance to see? Yeah, I feel like there's so much misunderstanding amongst mm-hmm. medical professions on like what your day to day looks like. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. And so there's these misconceptions about, you know, physical therapists, occupational therapists, mm-hmm. physicians, nurses. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, self care, and I had to, this has been like a journey for me. Mm-hmm. So, as I said earlier, residency was very challenging for me. Mm-hmm. And so, I started going to therapy during residency. And so, that was kind of the first form. Well, I don't say first, but first real form Mm -hmm. and first real step I took in terms of choosing me and making sure Mm -hmm. that I was being my own advocate. Yeah. Um, And so that was really helpful. And then from there, um, just making sure that I set aside time every week and even every day if Mm -hmm. I can to do something that I enjoy that Mm -hmm. brings me joy, that brings me happiness. Um, I'm a woman of faith. And so making sure I'm staying grounded in that, mm-hmm. I found that that helps and gives me a lot of peace of mind. And so I'm making sure that I'm going to church, reading my Bible mm-hmm. when I can, um, hanging out with friends, mm-hmm. uh, traveling. So those are all things that bring me joy and kind of get me away from work. And so I'm not just thinking about my patients all the time, not just thinking about all of the administrative tasks I have to do. Um, and not to say that I've not been burnt out, but those are things that I do to help kind of mitigate it. Gotcha. So you, 
I just, now that you say that, I'm like, what do doctors do? <laughs> I know that you do a lot, but I think because we're on the floor with the nurses and like physically yeah. doing things and all we see is you guys rounding or like mm-hmm. coming into the room for five minutes to be like, we saw this, we found this, we're doing this and you're out and roll. We're uh, like, where, where do they go? Where, where they they walk so fast. So like from intake, like in the morning, if you get a patient in, what is your day looking like? So it depends. You're inpatient. Yes, okay. inpatient, yeah. your inpatient okay. days. So inpatient days, um, for my hospital at least, as a resident, um, we were getting there at 6 o'clock for sign out. Um, and so you'd hear about all the, the things that happen with your patients overnight. And your patient, your like team, could be anywhere from, I would say on average, like 10 patients, upwards like 16 patients. Um, and so you hear about all the things that's going on overnight, uh, and then you go and you pre-round. So that's looking up, you know, all the labs that you ordered, imaging studies, looking at the nurse's notes, the physical therapy, occupational therapy notes to see what they recommended. You read the notes? Yes, we have to. A woman of the people. <laughs> Man. Thank you. Thank you. Boy, I got to oh give boy. a, a soca sound for that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, sometimes I wonder why I write them. We Seriously. have to. I mean... Now, to be honest, do I read every line of the note? No. You read the assessment. Read where should they go? Yes. <laughs> she scrolls on. She's like, home. just tell me where they need to go. I don't care yes. about if they're men or maxes. Tell me where they need to go. Yes, that is true. Well, some, some doctors don't even do that. So we're just like, did you not read my note? No, I don't even know where to find your notes. And you're just like, thank you. Thank you for telling us how much you really no, don't I, like us. I do know where to find and the nursing notes too they provide a lot of really helpful information oh, the nursing notes are good yeah, yeah and they're sometimes definitely. very juicy funny they are <laughs> patient refusing to give me their vape pen i'm like oh it's gonna be a good day patient called me an ugly yes. so-and-so you're just like spicy this is gonna be a fun day <laughs> i saw one the other day uh patient thinks she is dead vital signs suggest otherwise <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious <laughs> The nursing notes are good. I they mean, all really of them. are. Yeah, so even if they don't provide any information that will help me in managing the patient, they're just comedic relief. Yeah, and that's a day. form of self care. I'd it say. Is. Yeah, it is definitely. Um, okay, so after you've done all your pre rounding, looking things up, you go and uh, see the actual pa- see the patient. So you round on them in the morning, um, and then you talk to the nurses, uh, kind of communicate different things. And then in an academic setting, you have what's called like formal rounds. And so that's probably where you see, I don't know, do y'all have residents at your hospital? They're Not few really. and far between because some of them come from your your hospital that you work at. But okay. um, they're, they're few and far between, but they do have their separate little rounds away from general grand rounds okay. um, with the physician and they go, you know, uh, room by room in the ICUs. Yes. But on the regular floors, I'm not really sure how they really do it, honestly, because okay. we're mostly in the ICU. Yeah, ICU rounding is definitely different than just general floor mm-hmm. rounding. But um, same general concept is where you get together with your attending and the other people on your team. So usually a resident and two interns, mm-hmm. maybe some medical students, and you present to the attending, which can be very nerve-wracking for a resident. Um, and then you discuss what you think the treatment plan should be. And your attending will be like, yeah, I agree with that. Or no, that's terrible. We're going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, hopefully in like less harsh words. But um, and then depending on how you are attending likes to round, you'll go in and see the patient. So that's mm-hmm. usually where you all will see. What you all mm-hmm. see is like you're running in, running out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, after you've seen all the patients, you go and write notes, mm-hmm. put in orders. 
And then while all of that's going on, you're also admitting new patients. So if you get called from the ED or you get called from the ICU about a transfer, you have to go and, you know, see that patient, work them up, figure out what's going on. Um, write all your notes for the day and then you sign up. Gotcha. Y'all are just running around all day. Yes. Doing stuff. So you're not just going to the cafeteria or to the lounge just chilling <laughs> out with the snacks. The we, physician no. lounge. <laughs> right. we don't even get like a set lunch. It's just like yeah. you go grab lunch when you can. Mm-hmm. You bring it usually bring it back to the team room yeah. and you're writing notes or putting in orders while you're eating lunch. So you're much much like a nurse, pretty much. You don't get a set lunch. No. <laughs> you're just not wiping butts. <laughs> yeah. You guys are like team captains. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. We're Telling everybody like project managers yeah. for health. Yes, and then a lot of coordinating. So, like calling consultants, um, talking to case management. And... I'm sure that's fun. Yes, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, kind of, kind of piggybacking off of just um, kind of what we talked about already. Do you personally believe, as a physician, that healthcare in in the United States, or can you answer this question in the United States? Do you think that it should be free? And what does that look like for your salary specifically? Like, mm-hmm. if you weren't in the military. I don't know if I can answer the latter part yeah. of that question, but yes, like the idealist in me wants everyone to have access mm-hmm. to healthcare mm-hmm. and quality healthcare, not just like anything, but I know there are a lot of challenges and in making that happen. And there are other countries that have free healthcare mm-hmm. um, and there are disadvantages or, or issues with those sorts of systems. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if I have enough, I don't say knowledge, but enough insight and, and I guess knowledge to to really say what that would look like mm-hmm. for the U.S. specifically. Um, but ideally, like in my mind, I'm like, yes, everyone should be able mm-hmm. to afford uh, to see their PCM, to go to mm-hmm. specialists, get whatever surgery they need. Mm-hmm. But I realize it's just not structured that way, unfortunately. No. I always go back and forth because I think, yeah, if everyone had access to preventative health care, mm-hmm. even how many things we could mitigate but we're in the icu so much and i just sit there and i'm like if this was all government run they would be like okay your time's up we're turning off the vent very true or okay no this i know you both need hearts but we saw this this and that yeah you know what i mean things like that because it's it's huge and it's a business Mm -hmm. and it has to be run that way so i always wonder like what that looks like i don't think we can ever change it though i don't think because i mean even there's things that the population that the that society really doesn't know what happens behind the scenes. Like we talk about, you know, heart transplants because, you know, I was pretty much like the heart transplant program manager for our rehab department. And so people don't realize how much insurance plays a huge role on whether or not you get certain specialized procedures, if you can even get qualified for it, if you have family support. You know, there are a lot of things that come into play where just, yeah, the easy answer is to give you this transplant, but realistically that's not how that's going to go who's going to manage your medicine who's going to help you recover you know kid do you even have uh uh, funds to be able to um go to rehab and all that Mm -hmm. other kind of stuff so i think there's a there's a big lack of information to that patient just was like well it's there and it's available Uh give it to me and it's like that's not the way that it works unfortunately yeah i totally agree about preventative medicine like Mm -hmm. that without a doubt should be available to everyone um, because there are a lot of things that we can prevent, so diabetes, hypertension, and there are a lot of social factors that go into that as well. I, mm-hmm. I don't think just fixing the healthcare system will mm-hmm. fix all the healthcare problems. Right. Like our education system needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, jobs need to be like pay higher wages. And so there's a lot of issues that affect healthcare that aren't necessarily within the healthcare system mm-hmm. itself. So 
like all the social determinants of health, like where you live, so your neighborhoods, your environment, mm -hmm. all of those things need to be addressed, I think, in order for people to truly live their healthiest lives and prevent yeah. some of the chronic illnesses that I commonly treat. Well, what is one thing about healthcare that you would change if you had a magic wand? Mm. That's, Ooh, a good question. that's a good question. <laughs> I've never thought about Thank this. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> one thing about healthcare that I would change, I would increase the number of quality primary care physicians. I like that. Yeah. yeah. That can make or break so many yes. literal yeah. lives. Yeah. Primary care is definitely not sexy. It's not like, <laughs> like you don't see uh, shows being made about primary care. Physicians. Yeah. It's like surgeons right. or hot tickets or like unrealistic doctors that yeah. literally work in every department in the hospital, which is yeah. like so Sur surgical residents doing surgical residents doing physical therapy. It's like, oh, uh, that's yes. not real. Right. I'm like, weren't you just operating on an adult and now you're like dealing with yes. this baby in like general surgery. Right. <laughs> now you're in the ED. Like what is oh, going on? Um, but yeah, if there were more quality primary care physicians, mm -hmm. cause there's already a shortage. Um, and uh, a lot of mid-level providers mm -hmm. are kind of filling those gaps. But even then, that they don't make up like the difference mm -hmm. in what we, or what's estimated that we need in order to provide everyone with a, a PCM. And so that would be the one thing I'd change. That's a good one. Cool beans. Yeah. I remember I was looking into this program actually that was in California because California at the time, this was like six years ago, they were really running out of uh, PCPs or primary mm -hmm. care physicians. And there was this uh, program that they were trying out where it was like a DPT. So a doctor of physical therapy to PCP program. And I looked at it and I was like, I don't want to be a PCP. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm like, it's you not can't, sexy. Right. I'm like, you can't take sexy. me out of the cardiac ICU and then stick me into a clinic. Like I would just be like, it's it's pneumonia, Mister Johnson. Get off my phone. You know what I mean? Like there are people but, dying. Exactly, people are dying, Kim. But you but, could prevent those people from even go. needing That's to true. go into the ICU. And it was only like a three year program, and I was like, could I really do this? So instead of doing that, I went and got an MBA. <laughs> and look at you now. I, I, I know waste. <laughs> good God, I'm not good at picking degrees, unfortunately. But but yeah, I mean, I I, I could definitely see that though. But um. One of my one of my uh, one of the, the biggest questions that I have for you is, especially with talking about people of color and, and physicians of color and having representation, um, how do people find people of color such as yourself who, you know, are have this good quality? Like, is there are there any resources that people can do as, as opposed to like a Google search? Because we asked um, Dr. Dan Black the same thing. Doctors. Dot com. <laughs> <laughs> there are actually websites um and i can send you two of them that mm -hmm. i know of i don't remember their names off the top of my head but you can literally go on there you know put in your zip code mm -hmm. and they will tell you what doctors in your area um, across most specialties mm -hmm. are available and i think they also include um what type type of insurance each one of them, them takes yeah it takes oh, okay and then the other way is like word of mouth. Um, mm -hmm. So asking around. And I would say like choosing your PCM is kind of like choosing your hairstylist. Like you want to make sure that mm -hmm. you, you know, do a good background check per se. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that they have graduated from an accredited training program, say finished residency. 
You don't have to finish residency to practice medicine. Really? Yeah. That is a that is a hot like take. You, like in the public, or is it just like in certain sectors that you can practice without passing your residency? And it may vary by state, but after you finish your intern year, you could technically go off and practice. <gasps> so a, once you have your MD and you pass your boards, as long as you have that, and your one year. So not quite. So there's. <laughs> she's like, that's not what I said at all. You're not listening. <laughs> So in medical school, you take what's called step exams. Mm -hmm. So uh -huh. there's step one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of residency, you take your board exam. So those are different. Oh, okay, I see. So after you take step three, which is usually done some at some point during your intern year mm -hmm. um, or your internship, and you finish your internship successfully, you can go off and you can practice somewhere. That's why Mostly as a PCM, yeah. um, like primary care. Uh, what, but you want to make sure, I would say, for any doctor that you go see, you want them to not only have finished their residency or fellowship successfully, but be board certified. And you can look these things up. Um, you can also go to the state's um, like licensing website mm -hmm. and look to see if the physician has any sort of um, outstanding complaints or Ooh, if yeah. they've gone through any sort of like lawsuits or things of that nature yeah disciplinary stuff. action oh. so that's public knowledge yeah. um and so when choosing a pcm especially i would encourage people to do that wow gotcha yeah. let me ask you this one question um i know one of my one of my best friends we were talking about this the other day um and i always encourage people if you're going to a physician especially to a specialist or something like that try to do some research on what your issue is or what symptoms that you're having. So that way you can have an informed conversation with your physician. Um, is it irritating if patients come to you? Well, Google told me that I have <laughs> such and such and Web such. WebMD. <laughs> WebMD, exactly. Like, does that bother you as a physician? It does. Um, <laughs> it's like, I went to school for this. Yes. <laughs> it does in some cases, mm -hmm. uh, mostly when, you know, the, the stuff they're bringing back is just so off base yeah and the patient is just like so bought into what they read mm -hmm. um those cases can be very challenging and and flat out just like annoying i'm like okay well <laughs> i'm not going to get anywhere with you but i do <laughs> like when patients are somewhat educated mm -hmm. of course you know they did not go to medical school so right. i would not yeah. expect them to have the same like knowledge base mm -hmm. but if they know somewhat about their condition because it's you know it's their body mm -hmm. i i always and like promoting patients to try and gain an understanding of what their medical condition is, mm -hmm. know what medications you're taking. Like all of that makes a huge difference because you never know where you're going to end up. You may end up admitted to a hospital. And if you can't, you know, tell them or your family member can't tell them, you know, what's going on with you, what your history is, what meds you're taking, they could potentially treat you with something that you shouldn't be taking or, um, and so, yes, it can be annoying, but I also would say, you know, I would encourage patients to educate themselves mm -hmm. and um, make sure they're informed as much as they can be about their medical conditions. So stay off Google, but go to WebMD. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe not that. WebMD. I feel like WebMD is the one that's yeah. like either you have a cold or cancer. Yes. Very true. Yes. Yeah. You'll turn into a hypochondriac very quickly. Yeah. <gasps> what? I do have a headache. Oh, my skin is this. Oh, my yes. God. I'm dying. And they're like, you just have diarrhea. That's it. But there's it's like the a range of, of patients. So like on one end, you have the patients that have a ton of questions. And then on the other end, there's like patients that are just like, whatever you say, doc, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's the, the best either yeah. because they're just so open and willing to do whatever mm -hmm. anyone in the healthcare system tells them to do, yeah. which can be dangerous. Yeah. Autonomy. Advocate for yourself. Yes, yes. definitely. Because I know even, even too, when I've had patients who 
especially black older patients. And the I'm standing there because the physician has probably interrupted my treatment session, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so you're sitting there and the doctor's trying to explain this, you know, medically complex situation. And they're just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And doctor's like, do you understand? And they're just like, yeah, 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 I got and it, I got it. as soon as the doctor Susan, leaves. What did they say? Yeah. And I'm just like, they were right there. I, I, I saw the look of confusion on your face. Why didn't you just say anything? And they're just like, well, I mean, I know, I know they got stuff to do. You're a patient. Yeah. Like, I don't care what this stuff they got to do. Keep them in these rooms. The best like, is when the family calls later and they're like, can you tell them what the doctor said? I was like, no, I'm going to get fired. Exactly. It's just like, I'm, I'm not your MD, but right. this is what they were it talking about. It sounded a lot like he said, uh... <laughs> you got diarrhea. <laughs> it's going to be fine. I can discharge tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> um, I know it kind of varies on where you practice and what's, you know, what the, oh, uh, what's the word? See, yours are hard. Five, and six, seven, seven eight. eight population looks like. Thank you. Um, but are there a lot of black female doctors? Do you have access to them? Is there like a Facebook page? That's a great question. Um, so there is a Facebook group for young black doctors. Mm. It's called Why Bad? The Young Black American Doctors. Nice. And Very Michael um, Jackson. Yes. I <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It is so now. Silly. They've been actually, and many of them don't know. There's like seventeen thousand of us in there. Wow, and, really? Uh, but this is across the, the United, United States? States. Okay. Um, so then, really, not that many, right? It's not yeah. Many. No. Two per state. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that they've been like a huge support because you can just get on there. Even though I don't really like going on Facebook, mm -hmm. they post encouraging things. So like residents that have gone through like disciplinary actions mm -hmm. and have now successually finished their residency or faced oh, whatever nice. setbacks and then they post funny things mm -hmm. like stuff that they see in patients they also post things about you know some of the topics we discussed earlier so like mm -hmm. facing microaggressions and how mm -hmm. they've dealt with that yeah um and then just last night i um, organized a dinner with uh, some of the black female physicians that i know that work within kind of my healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And they invited others that I didn't even know existed. Oh, and so, so cool. I got to yeah. meet some of the other black females um, kind of within this area. And so we're hoping to continue, you know, dinners, wine tastings, whatever. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. My dream team is like, I want all black female physicians for oh, everything. That'd be nice. Yeah. For everything, I don't know, so like a dentist. A doctor. I really love my I had PCPs. That, I had man, that but... actually when I was in Tallahassee. When I was in college, I actually had that. Like my OBGYN was black. Um, my PCP was black. My dentist was black. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, but that's a, I mean, there's an HBCU that's right there. So yeah. I think, you know, some of them went to uh, FAMU and, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's good to have it's them like there. like the girls who get it, get it, you know. And the girls who don't, don't. Exactly. I definitely yeah. want my OB. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't go to the OB that often now, but when I hopefully get pregnant and have family, yeah, like that's one of the things I'm going to be looking for. Yeah, not black. Mm, it's not gonna work. Out. Pretty much, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I need you to understand what I'm saying and what even I'm telling being, you. being mm -hmm. heard. Like yeah. the fact that that patients have to fight for themselves, and it's like they're already in this vulnerable state. A lot of people don't have the same level of education as we have, mm -hmm. and so they don't even know what to fight for in situations like that. And it's just like if you. I mean, Serena Williams. I'm like, this girl yeah, is a multi-millionaire. If they don't listen she, to her. Seriously. Like, what? I mean, you almost have to tell physicians, well, are you refusing to give me a CT scan? Well, then I need you to document that in my in my file. And they're just, yeah. fine, I'll give it to and you. No one, the radiation who and knows blah, blah, blah. to do that or say that, though? Exactly. Right? Because yeah. we work in healthcare, so we know certain mm -hmm. key terms. But for the people who are voiceless, it's, I mean, it's it's dangerous out here. Yeah. Really there have been stories published. One, um, like a family friend, his wife actually died mm -hmm. 
during um, or shortly after delivering uh, their child. And wow. she was a pediatric resident so in the healthcare system. She was like 29, 30, Man, around that age. Yeah. Very That's sad. Horrible. And then um, this one I, I didn't know personally. I just saw the story. But another uh, black female physician, mm-hmm. her husband was a lawyer. So they were like very educated. Yeah. Um, and she died either during or shortly after. Jeez. Wow. There's just something about having a doctor that looks like you. Yeah. Or anyone, like a boss. Mm-hmm. I mean, as long as they're good and not awful. Right. Because there are awful, all, just because a you're a female person of color doesn't mean that you're automatically good. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah, but representation definitely matters in med school. It matters in who's teaching as well too. Because mm-hmm. I think that's also too what, what helps. Like for me, because I went to a black college, I didn't feel racism at my black college because mm-hmm. all the professors looked like me, except for some of the ones in the, the higher sciences. But whatever. Uh, but they were still people of color right. <laughs> that just weren't black. But um, I mean, the representation, especially who teaches medicine and they teach it from a standpoint where they are more relatable to the people that they're going to be eventually serving. Like even there's this one guy on TikTok. I don't know if you guys have seen it. He's a black resident or, or intern. And or I think maybe 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 in med school. Either way, he talks about the disparities and the differences between black people and, you know, our white counterparts and even how different diseases present differently in the body. Um, even um, Dr. Darian. I think that's his name. The black guy. Yeah. He's always showing attractive like attractive man. Huh? Attractive man. I mean, he wears glasses. Anyway, anyway, yeah, but I know. Yeah. He is good. He's, he's a good TikTok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's been like um, in people's syllabuses or syllabi, syllabi. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, he talks about different, the differences between how things appear in people of color versus, you know, um, our other counterparts. But I think that, you know, representation is, is very important. So one of the last questions that I want to ask, I'm not sure about Alyssa, but if you can go back to your 18 year old self, what would you tell yourself? I'm going to take my last question. Oh, sorry. I, maybe I should ask the different nope, one. It's then. fine. Okay. Um, before I answer that, can I add something to your last point? So thinking back in medical school, all of like the images that we would see Mm -hmm. were white, white people. So even like skin disorders, Mm -hmm. rashes and things of that nature, we all learned it or learned it all on, you know, white skin and Mm -hmm. how that would present. And recently, and I, I don't think it's the same person, but, um, this black male resident, I believe he is, he put out a... A book or like a PDF mm-hmm. that showed common skin disorders and how they would present in people of yeah, color. Yeah, that's so awesome. people with darker skin textures. Um, and Does he wear like, glasses? Dark skin? I don't remember. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was gonna say I think it might be the same guy. It may be the same guy. <laughs> I don't remember. Um, and then uh, more, more recently than that, a major um, like book publisher mm-hmm. of like medical books. They changed some of the imaging for um, their OB like content, mm-hmm. and so they showed black babies mm. within like in utero because mm-hmm. they've always been white. Yeah, um, always. And so you That's know, little so things like that make a difference. That. I'm like, oh, I never, I never even thought about that. But yeah. it's like, oh, seeing a black baby, I'm like, okay, well, I could be delivering this black baby mm-hmm. one day. Mm-hmm. So that's um, it's weird. Like you teach all these people the certain way only seeing one image for mm-hmm. so long and then you wonder why they treat black people differently or yeah. they don't know how to address things with black people or they're misdiagnosing things with mm-hmm. black people they were never taught on this version of person right and that's why we have to change absolutely the health community you go this and this is why too even in healthcare when i was at the bedside all the black patients i'm just gonna say it I, every black patient that i saw I, that's my patient yeah 
I'm I'm just going to scoop you up. I just am. And, and if you and if I just and if I just so happen to miss you, I'm gonna come back. You get PT. Why you didn't see this patient? Because we get mm-hmm. we get lost in the system so much. Because again, the representation they sometimes they don't even look at us as humans because we're not represented in textbooks. And so if we're not represented in textbooks, who really cares about us? It's oh, it's just one more person. Right. Like no, there you know. I mean, you it's. It's insane. I cannot but. tell you how many times I got the call. She's like, hey, uh, can you pick up an eval? I'm like, no, absolutely not. I'm not doing it. I'm going to lunch. She's like, they're black. Like, Damn it. <laughs> All right, like, we'll remember the end. I'll do it real quick. Hi, we're from PTOG. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you need. Absolutely. Just let me know. You need extra graham crackers? Right. You good? Okay, yes. cool. <laughs> uh, and I don't know if I should say this, but I go the extra mile for my black female patients. They're yeah. So particular. Even like, they don't, just telling them things like, hey, you can write down what they're saying. You can yeah. ask them questions about it. Do you want mm-hmm. someone here? Do you want to have them on the phone? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it makes know. a big difference. I think they really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And I know I shouldn't have like favorites or mm-hmm. treat patients differently, but I do. And I call it reparations. I, I, but I don't even I'm think not. it's you treating them different. I think you're, you're building a rapport with a community of people who have been forgotten about, looked over, stepped upon, and you're making the wrongs right. So I don't think you're giving them, you know, preferential treatment. It's just making sure that you take that extra step that a lot of people don't do because again, they're not seen. And so you're just making sure that they understand exactly what's going on and really honestly giving them equal treatment. Just yeah. sensitive to the context Absolutely. of colored people in the hospital. I do give extra grand black practice, women. Though. <laughs> I, I don't do, do that See, i do that's against my practice act I cannot do that graham crackers is not in pt physical therapy practice act. i give them you want extra okay cool beans yeah mm-hmm. i give extra time um like yeah. i won't you know treat them differently from like yeah. a medical standpoint right but extra time extra attention mm-hmm. even um yeah. i've given some patients like my personal phone number mm-hmm. if they need to call about anything so just little things like that. Yeah. And even when there's a language barrier too, like I think language barriers are just as important mm-hmm. as, you know, the um, the uh, disparate treatment between people of color as well. Because a lot of times you just think, well, if I talk slower and louder, hey, Mr. <laughs> so-and-so, they still yeah. can understand what you're saying. There's a true language barrier. They're not deaf. Right. So you may have to spend <laughs> a little bit more time with them as well too. But um, yeah, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? The first thing that came to mind, so I'll go with that rather than thinking any longer, is (laughs) you can do it. At 18, I had no idea that I would be a physician. I didn't, like, that was not on my radar. Mm -hmm. It was not something that I even thought of was remotely possible. Um, And I would just, you know, tell myself, try to give myself a little pep talk and just flat out say, you can do it. And not only, you know, get into medical school, but other things that I would later on go go to do. And maybe that would give me the encouragement to try some things that I didn't do mm-hmm. because of fear or intimidation or, you know, anything along those lines. Gotcha. What would you tell to, like, a young black woman right now who was thinking about becoming a doctor but was maybe like, I don't know any black doctors. It's probably really hard. Yeah, I would say, well, now you know me. <laughs> so... <laughs> What do you need help with? Because if you, if this is something you're passionate about or even just a little bit interested in, know that you can do it. Um, There are people here that want to support you. And there are a lot of mentoring groups um, for black female physicians specifically uh, that will get you into the circles that you need to get into to get, you know, uh, the volunteer experience you need tell you about scholarships, get you connected with people that can write you letters of recommendation. And so I'm always very quick to, to 
to do those sorts of things and help out whenever I can. Mm-hmm. Um, when I find, especially a black, you know, black, uh, a younger black uh, girl that's interested in me- medicine, even if it's just like remotely interested, I'm like, no, you're going. Into well, medicine. we could get her. Yeah, we need more private care physicians. We need exactly. more. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, I want to be a surgeon. I'm <laughs> no, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm taking it. I'm taking it all back. Honestly, if they if they had a year program from like. PT, DPT to PCP, I would probably do it. That'll be probably like, like the last thing. Tell me what program. I need to know. But you would yeah. want to be, you'd be okay being a primary care doctor? I would. Okay. I would. She, she says more. that now. She says that now. Come on. I mean, if they said, hey, do it for a year, we'll pay off your student loans, heck yeah. Oh, Absolutely. I would do oh, it. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I would. But even if they didn't, I, I would still do it. I think I would. It's such a cool side to be on because you do get to make those relationships mm-hmm. and you kind of, you know, get to see people throughout their lives and see your, it's like outpatient therapy yeah. Yeah. you get to like in the hospital we see you for two days and we're like well i hope it i hope it works yeah. out yeah um, and you may never see him again but at least right. there you get to follow them and mm-hmm. see the changes and you can catch on to things and... yeah absolutely and there you, go. you and can be a doctor only if they had a year program <laughs> i can't i can't give any more than that I how mean, long was med school four years four years and then not your residency that. was three years three years not doing that that's a lot of years Mm-mm. No, you should have got me before PT school. <laughs> well, I mean, my, my dream was to go into med school. The problem is that in undergrad, I had way too much fun going to a black school. Anyway, I had way too much fun, and I did not get the grades to get into med school, nor did I have the motivation mm-hmm. to take over classes to then study for an MK. It was just, I was I like, no. It's a huge Physical therapy is thing. the it next was, best thing. Yeah. Like, other than the academic yeah. mental portion, it's like, man, a marathon of... Mm-hmm. yeah a hard is. school yeah yeah and a lot of black physicians face a lot of setbacks so like mm-hmm. historically like minorities don't do well on standardized testing mm-hmm. i'm one of them like i did terrible on the mcat the first time i mm-hmm. took it and i didn't do gr- that great the second time i took it either but that's one of like the big hurdles mm-hmm. or issues with like the gpa mm-hmm. so not getting the gpa but a lot of those things, like even the step exams and the board exams, yes, you need those things to pat, like get through um, and graduate. But a lot of those exams and what you get don't correlate to how good you are clinically. Exactly. You just have to pass. You just yeah. have to It's like anything mm-hmm. else. It's like you could be an excellent physician, great at the bedside, know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, when you go to sit down and take a test, you may know the information, but you may have like test anxiety mm-hmm. or... A number of different things that can affect your ability to perform well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't ask any of my doctors what exactly their GPA was. No one. No. Yeah. no and don't care. Half the time, I don't even care what school you went to. Did you graduate? Are you licensed? <laughs> Are you licensed? How many people have you killed? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Not even that. I'm in pain. Can you take it exactly. away? Exactly. Are you going to give me a prescription today or do I have to do something else? <laughs> Well, we definitely want to thank you for coming on to our show and sharing your your wisdom, your knowledge, and your yes, experience. We definitely you. do appreciate it. Um, so again, uh, this is Dr. Dr. Captain Crystal Foreman. <laughs> um, and so we thank you for your time and for your your knowledge. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. This is fun. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> so you should come back and be our resident yeah. physician. So when we need to have questions. Our doctor captain. Exactly. <laughs> we can we can put you in the rehab corner and if people want to have questions, you know. Yeah, get your own segment. We Absolutely. could talk about that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hmm. All right. We'll, we'll tell them to uh, give us a copay and cash app and pay <laughs> <laughs> When they write in, they have to send $5. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, thank you again. And uh, it's been another episode of the Face Off with Fleming and Fowler. We thank you for tuning in for another week. Y'all stay prayed up. Drink your water. All that good stuff. Do your skincare and all that good stuff, y'all. It's going to be an amazing week because we believe it's going to be an amazing week. Because we're going to be doctors soon.
I mean, I already have a doctorate, but yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> but y'all remember to spread love. Spread light. And don't forget to laugh your face off. It's the face off. It's the face off. Spread love, spread light. And don't forget to laugh your face off. It's the face off. It's the face off. Spread love, spread light. And don't forget to laugh your face off. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of The Face Off with Slimming and Fowler. Don't forget to follow us on all our social media platforms, including Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at The Face Off Pod. Be sure to tune into The Face Off with Slimming and Fowler every Tuesday when new episodes are released.